Walking with Jesus, serving with love, sharing with courage. Welcome to the Pecom Podcast. It is so good to be back with you all. This is Dan Van Voris. A very happy summer to you and to all the people you are doing fun uh, summer things with. Glad to be here as always with Pastor Courtney and Jeff Given and even some others like we had the interview with Jeff. And I know coming up this summer and into the fall, we're going to have some new voices here on the Pecom Pod as well. It's a, a really good uh good thing for the church as we go into the the sort of modern age. It seems like everyone has podcasting. I myself am a professional podcaster, which if you would have told me even in grad school, you're going to be a professional podcaster, I would have said, I don't even uh, know what that is. So let's get into today's show. My name is Dan Van Voris. I am a church historian. And so when I do shows here for the Pecom Pod, I'm usually going to take something that we're looking at at Pecom and I'm going to try and put it in its historical context to see where we do things that the church has always done and to see where the church has has changed and where we are heirs of that change and when uh, we are also doing things that Christians have done since the very beginning. And this series, uh, you might know, we're going through right now is on the Psalms, and the subtitle is Sing, Shout, and Pray. So I thought Maybe on today's PCOM podcast, we could talk about singing and Christian singing in particular. Because I wonder how much of your Christian life, and, and, and certainly your church life, revolves around singing. The Psalms, right? That's the biggest book in our Bible. That's a song book. Think about uh, a time that you went to a church that wasn't yours or a new church. How much of that new church experience is going to be affected by the singing. To what extent do you make your first judgment based on the music and the singing? So I want to tell a story. It was on this podcast, the first time I came on this podcast, which I think was back in October, I think of 2021, I told the story of how my family and the Ellis's met at a small park on the side of the road near Lake Arrowhead, completely by chance. And that began um, my family's time here at at PCOM. And while we've told that part of the story, the reason that I could recognize Pastor Courtney and Pastor Daryl is because a few weeks earlier, I had come to the church uh, myself. I'd come uh, while the kids and Beth Ann were with the in-laws. And so I decided I was going to come and, uh, and check out a service. So it just turns out it was on June the 27th of 2021 that I first uh, came to PCOM, and I was able to go back on my calendar and and find that and, and still have so many fond memories of that first time. Actually, the week prior to coming, I came to campus during the week and thought maybe I could find one of the pastors and just kind of ask about children's stuff, and um, I, I came and uh, I met someone who was working maintenance, and they said, I just missed the pastors, and so that Sunday I came, and I came to the first service, the sanctuary service, and... Um, you know, if you, this is a, a an audio uh, format, so you you might not know uh, I'm I have a lot of hair and a beard, and I I do have some tattoos on my arms, and so when I came to the sanctuary service, there were people who later told me, "Oh heavens, he's 
he's come to the wrong service. And uh, actually, uh, while I appreciate, I, th- I think I, yeah, I mean, that's so nice. I, I loved that service. That was, um, in many ways, kind of like the perfect service, I, the kind of service I was looking for. It had some familiar hymns and a big choir and a phenomenal sermon, and it actually felt a lot like the church where I was baptized when I was 18 and married a few years after that. That was Irvine Presbyterian Church back in the 90s, and so very similar vibes to PECOM. So within a few weeks, uh, my family came back to church, and we attended the Awake service, and we loved that as well, but that was certainly new for us. We hadn't been going to contemporary services uh, for the past about 20 years. We had been in, in pretty liturgical churches after we left Irvine Presbyterian Church and, and, and moved. And so we knew that the awake service was going to be something that's not usually what we've done in the past. And part of coming to a new church and, and finding a new church body after COVID was was pushing ourselves a little bit. So we came to the awake service. And despite it being loud for us the first time, not because it's necessarily loud, but just because what we were used to, um, we have come to to really really enjoy it. And, and and both services. When we had the unity service a few weeks back, my boys really enjoyed being in the, uh, the sanctuary because it reminded them of, of some of our older churches. So I thought, well, with, with this is so much a part of our, our church life and experience and talking about the Psalms and, and singing, I thought I'd talk just a little bit today about the history of Christians singing in worship. So why don't you just consider this your crash course into church uh, history and, and, and music in particular. Now, of course, if we go back to the Old Testament, we're going to be bringing up all kinds of things. We'll get to that a little bit later, but let's start with the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, we are told quite explicitly by Paul to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So there we have a an injunction to go back to the, the psalms and to sing them and, and, and hymns, which uh, could be different from psalms. And so there's some diversity in what's being sung. And, and we know that in the New Testament itself, we have excerpts of hymns. And, and oftentimes, Paul and others will quote these hymns. Think of uh, the great hymn we read in Philippians, the Let the Same Mind Be in You That Was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. In the history of uh, Christianity, one of the the first historical examples we have of the church outside of the Bible comes from the Roman world, from a a governor in the sort of nether regions of the empire named Pliny. And in a a letter, we read that there is a, a new sect, and this new sect, on a certain day before light, they gather and sing hymns to Christ as to a God. So there we have evidence uh, right there from the first century of when Christians get together, what do they do? They sing. And they sing to Christ, and they sing to Christ as if he were a God. And that's that's a pretty amazing historical uh, bit. And uh, we know that in the, the Western churches, it developed in those first couple hundred years, there was a good bit of reticence about singing that there were certain Christians, once again, especially in the West and and kind of following Greek philosophy, that 
didn't want to sing. It was maybe considered too close to the Roman practice of singing, of Roman theater. And so those early centuries, there weren't a lot of their, you know, private singing perhaps, but nothing theatrical. Of course, you have to remember before 325, it is um, not always illegal to be a Christian, but it is certainly not advantageous, and you wouldn't want certain people to know where Christians were worshiping. So, uh, you know, big big anthems probably aren't going <laughs> to be sung. But it's interesting that in the Western Church in those first couple hundred years, there was a, a bit of a turn against singing. And it was really the Eastern Church and their singing that inspired some people in the West. A guy named Ambrose, who's a very famous church father, he actually baptized Augustine, who's like, talk to Pastor Daryl about Augustine. He'll talk you, he'll tell you all about him. He's a fascinating guy. And, um, and they actually, it was Ambrose who helped convince the Western Church that singing and communal singing should be practiced in worship. Now, what about instrumentation? Well, in the Old Testament, we have harps and we have lyres and, and all sorts of instrumentation. But uh, once again, the church thought that that mirrored culture too much. You know, some theologians even said that the, the instruments that were used in the Old Testament, well, that's kind of like a God just made an exception for them then, but really we don't need them more culturally uh, conditioned than anything else. But there is no music in the early church. And so when you get later groups saying, we want to do church like the early church, we're not going to use instruments. They are historically correct. They are more in line with the early church. Of course, the question is, to what extent are we called to mirror any particular church throughout uh, time? So the early church, the, there's no instrumentation. The Roman Empire, Christianity during the Roman Empire, so think up until about 450 to 500 uh, A.D., and then after that, that's when things start to change. Uh, the, the medieval West and beyond starts to not only embrace uh, new instruments, but new kinds of, of playing with music, with, with plain chant. Um, the instrumentation is still going to be pretty basic. It's going to uh, follow sort of music with notations that's it's meant for accompanying singing. But as we see the church start to develop, think of a, think of in your mind of a medieval church or a high medieval, or a renaissance church, and just how big they can get, and then just gold and everything. is So that's kind of what happens to music. The music becomes more ornamental. And that's a question that Christians have always had. To what extent should we ornament ourselves, ornament our churches? There are some churches which say, yeah, we need to pull out all the stops, make it as big and loud and pretty and fancy as possible, and others, um, especially in the kind of American Puritan tradition, for example— that would say, no, we don't want to go uh, overboard. And really, what we do, how we sing in church today, comes to us from the Reformation. And so let me just give you the real basic sort of where we stand in the big line of church history and church music. Coming out of the Reformation, you really have three strands uh, outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, of course, you also have the Eastern Orthodox Church, and you have other Eastern churches, but for the most part, the Western Roman Church is going to break, and it's going to break into three strands. The first strand is the most conservative Reformation movement. That's the Lutheran movement. They are only going to eliminate what they think they absolutely should. And so if the Catholics have a mass, that's fine. The Lutherans would go in and take out what they found to be objectionable, 
and sing their version of the Mass. Then you have the Reformed, and that's where PCOM stands and where people like John Calvin and uh, Scotch Presbyterians, they represent a, a kind of middle way. They're, they're going to uh, reform, they're going to allow for things to stay, uh, but they're really looking for a kind of middle way, for a reform, for something new, something old. Uh, like I said, the middle way. Some of the Reformed would get a little anxious with hymns that have words that aren't in the Bible. And so here you're going to find something called exclusive psalmody. And exclusive psalmody is where you uh, sing, but all of your songs are based on the psalms. In Scotland, they put together a book, the uh, a metrical uh, psalter. That is all of the psalms written in rhyme. And it's really fun. You can check those out uh, online. And so the Reformed are going to say, uh, we're not going to get rid of everything, but maybe we don't want to use certain instruments, or maybe we just want to use psalms. And then you have the third strand, and that's the Radical Reformation. And the Radical Reformation, um, well, the example I always think of is one of, there's a guy named Zwingli, which is a fun name to say. And Zwingli famously is a, a Swiss reformer who takes an axe to an organ, because that is the uh, organ, pardon the pun, of, of the devil. We don't want any of that. And so he, in, you know, he, he was kind of a, a showy guy, as some of these reformers were. So the Radical Reformation is going to say, uh, throw it all out, and we'll see where we go. And for some of these churches, they are going to say, you can do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. Have you ever been to a Quaker church before where everyone is just quiet? And then, as they feel led by the Spirit, they start to exhort and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Radical Reformation churches can look like a charismatic church, right? Can look like a church where, once again, you're going to be led by the Spirit. Um, you're going to do things based on your own conscience. And, and history is, is important, but not like a something that drives them necessarily. And I think we can make arguments for all of these traditions. Um, I've said here on this podcast, I've been in the Lutheran and Reformed traditions for, for my Christian life. And so those kind of feel uh, comfortable for me. Whereas my wife, uh, her father is a, uh, leads worship, has led worship, has taught worship, has written some of the songs that we sing at uh, or have sung at PCOM before. And she has uh, family connections into Calvary Chapel and into the Vineyard uh, movement. And so she has seen things much more kind of uh, and I've, with her, seen things much more radical. So he, these are just the basic strands of churches in the West. We've got the Catholic, then the Lutheran, then the Reformed, then the Radical, uh, or the Radical Reformation. I mentioned earlier that there were a number of churches in the 19th century that uh, wanted to get rid of instruments because they didn't find them in the New Testament. These are the, the Restorationist churches, if you've heard of, like, the Church of Christ uh, these are churches that say, we want to do what the Church of Acts did, and the Church of Acts didn't have uh, instruments. Personally, I have found so much to, to really appreciate in the worship at PCOM. It seems like uh, we have all of these elements of all of these strands. We have, um, we've been singing the, uh, the benediction or the doxology, rather, the praise God who uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, which I just did a show on my podcast. I'll just say here it's called the Christian History Almanac, and we do a, a, 
a weekend show, which is a little bit longer. And so I actually went through the history of hymnody and I have hymns played on that episode. And I play that doxology that in the awake service we sing as the kids are going off to Sunday school. And um, that fun, just fun fact, that was actually written uh, for private worship, not to be sung publicly. And someone has uh, done the math and suggested that perhaps there is no more, um, no song has been sung more in English than that song, which wasn't written to be sung in public. So we have elements like that. We have things that tie us to the historic past in saying the, the, the creed and saying the Apostles' Creed. We're kind of following part of the liturgy of the church. Uh, we just went through a, a couple series where the sermons were based on the church calendar, and we talked on this show about the church calendar. And so that's this this aspect of sort of the, the ancient church and then you, you think of what we do uh, in, in, in both services, but I'm thinking of the Awake in particular with some instrumentation that is phenomenal. I'm a, um, a very, very moderate guitar player, but I think I'm, I'm good enough to know when there are people who really know how to play. And so just watching uh, not only the guitarists and, and um, uh, the bassist, I was just talking to, to Jeff uh, about that, and... Um, just, I, I love the instrumentation. It is new, but even there, we're singing sort of hybrid hymn praise songs. Uh, so it, it's it's really fascinating, just the way in which, just at our church alone, uh, if you have the eyes to see, you can see the rich history of the church and the and the songs we're singing and the hymns we're singing, how uh, we sing them. I'm really struck, just as I talk about this, one of the things that I've uh, heard from the pastors a good bit is the idea of being intergenerational. That young people should be comfortable with older people and, and people in between should be comfortable with older and younger because we're all one in Christ. And I think sometimes with music, we can get uncomfortable. We can think, well, this is my version, that's their version. And I've done this in the past, and we all have our, our predilections and where we want to go. But I, I think PCOM has got such a, a fantastic opportunity with its generations, with its services, uh, and certainly with the, the unity services, uh, but, but ways in which we can experience the, the plethora of, of, of things given to us by the history of the church and how our church uh, reflects that and appreciates it and also passes it on uh, to the next uh, generations. In the coming months here on the Pecom Podcast, I'm going to keep doing this, this uh, kind of church history corner, and I'd love to do it uh, looking at our church and just kind of how what we're doing puts us in the, the cloud of, of believers, that great uh, group of, of saints that have gone before us and are with us today. You can always reach out to me uh, at church. I'm at the second service uh, with my family. I'm at Dan V., for Van Voris at 1517, that's 1517.org, and I'm always happy to get emails there. That's where people email me for my, uh, you know, my, my job as a podcaster, but send me an email there and we can get some things going up for this podcast. So uh, have a fantastic week. I'm looking forward to coming to PCOM this Sunday, where it will be exactly one year since I came for the first time. My family has been so, so welcomed by you all and uh, by the pastors, and uh, it's, it's fantastic. So now is the time where I remind you what I was first reminded that first Sunday one year ago when I took the bulletin and it stared at me, and in big white letters it read, 
Jesus is good news. And that is most certainly true. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.